Welcome to Wayward Bodies, a show about our bodies and the messy places that they meet the world. I'm your host, Ellie Bauer-Johnston. Each episode, we'll be exploring embodiment, body liberation, creativity, healing, and how we can start to show up as our whole selves. Today's episode is a conversation with Sarah Jones, all about learning to trust yourself and her experience as a yoga teacher living with autoimmune disease. Sarah is an embodied yoga and movement teacher based in beautiful Wales. She loves seeing those moments when her students rediscover the beauty of coming home to their bodies, and she lives for those moments herself. Practicing embodiment has helped her fear her body less and cultivate a deep relationship with it, even when it's not working for her. This conversation was such a pleasure, not only because of Sarah's luxurious Welsh accent, but also because of her wisdom and passion. We covered so much ground, chatted about honouring the uncomfortable truths that our bodies tell us, talked about ableism in wellness, and the importance of body autonomy, especially when dealing with the medical-industrial complex. Before we get started, there are a few things going on that I would love for you to know about. First is that I'm playing with a new way of working one-to-one. I'm calling it the integration sessions, and I'll be running a beta test in October. Essentially, it's a shorter way of working, so it's two weeks of one-to-one support, And it can be used for anything, really. Perhaps you're exhausted as we transition into into autumn. Perhaps you are feeling super stressed out and you want to find some new ways to manage that. Perhaps you are just feeling a little disconnected from yourself and you want to find some ways back in. Because I think it can be so easy to pick up these tools and be like, oh, yeah, this made me feel really good. And then just never, ever do it again, ever, because you haven't found a way to fit it into everyday life and to make it part of your lived reality, as it were. And so this is a way of playing with that. We'll start with a 90-minute session in which we can really kind of go into what it is that you need and practice together. And you can ask all of the questions and we can talk about what it is that we're practicing. And then two weeks of support with Signal, which is kind of like WhatsApp, but just not owned by Facebook in which you can touch in, you know, there's accountability or cheerleading or, you know, life inevitably gets in the way and you can just touch in for a bit of support. And then we'll close out with a follow-up session to see what worked, see what didn't, see where you want to go now. So as I said, I'm playing with this new structure throughout October, which means that I have space for three beta testers, which will come at a reduced rate. So if you're interested in being one of those beta testers, then drop me an email at ellie at anotherpractice.com and we can get you booked in. And if you want to work over a slightly longer period of time and in a group so you can have that group support, Then my friend Jolie Kelly and I are creating a course that will be starting in November. It's still forming. We're just 
picking the perfect name for it. But at the root of it is coming back to the things that are true for you, which feels really appropriate for this episode. It's so centered around the things that are true. So if you're feeling a little bit like you don't know which way is up or down, or like you have these visions of what your life could be like, but you're not sure quite how to put them into action, then this is for you. If you're interested in joining the waitlist, then drop me an email, ellie at anotherpractice.com, and I will let you know once everything's good to go. All right, speaking of good to go, a little content warning before we get into this episode. There is some light swearing in this episode, and we also talk about pregnancy and birth, not in super visceral detail, but if you're feeling sensitive around that topic, then take that into account. And that's everything. Okay, let's go. Hi, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's such a pleasure to see you. No, it's really lovely to be here. Thank you for asking me. Ah, you know, as I just said to you off off mic, um, I'm just I'm just here to have conversations with people who I think are really interesting. And so here you are. <laughs> just straight in with a compliment, you know. <laughs> Keep them coming. <laughs> Libra season. We've got to we've got to work with it. Yeah, it is, it is Libra season. It is. As a Libra, I, I am officially, you know, it's my time You're to shine. You're in season now, yeah? You're in season. I'm literally just out of season. I was the beginning of September, so I do feel like I'm on the wane a little bit now. That's okay. I'm waning into autumn. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That fits. It works. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, there's so much amazing stuff that you do. And we've, you know, people will have heard the introduction. They've kind of, you know, have an idea of what it is that you do. Um, but maybe you could start by giving us a bit of an idea of um, your own story with embodiment. And that can, you know, wander into your work, but it also can just sort of, I know you've got fun, complicated tale, as all of us do, with your relationship with your body. So maybe you could give us an idea of what's going on or what's happened. Okay, so I mean, I'll take you right back to the beginning of my journey with embodiment, which I guess, as with lots of things, is only apparent when you when you look back in retrospect and you go, okay, yeah, this this was this happened from a very, very young age that sense of um, being very, very connected to my body and what was going on. Um, so I have a diagnosis of lupus and this went undiagnosed for, for a very, very long time. And investigations started into what was sort of causing my pain when I was nine. So I was, I was my daughter's age, my eldest daughter's age, and I was getting really awful joint pain in my knees and in my elbows. And when you have pain as a child, you go to the GP and quite often it's just dismissed as growing pains. You know, it's it's an easy thing to do. Oh, it's growing pains. We'll see how it goes. We'll monitor it. But this was just relentless, you know, um, and it used to affect how I was able to participate in, in sports and PE. And it, it never went away. You know, it, it was something that I've lived with from nine, um, particularly in my knees. And you, 
you kind of find ways around it. You you find ways of denying it and thinking, no, I'm going to do these squats because I can just get through them or I'm going to play this game of, of, of hockey as we did back then in school. Um, so I'm quite, I'm quite well-versed in pain and I'm quite used to living with pain. So I'm 39 now, yeah. so it's been 30 years um, of knowing pain in my body. And I think that has been the starting place of my embodiment. I come to mm. it from a place of pain because pain puts you in your body, doesn't it? It brings you into, into the present moment, you know? It, it makes you so aware of what's going on that you feel everything, you know, when you're in pain. Um, that it's actually been quite a, I guess, useful mindfulness tool, <laughs> you know, to be in the moment, which is, you know, it sounds a bit twisted, but um, it's one of the ways that I've learned to work with pain over the years and how I've, I've come to an embodiment practice, which actually the label of embodiment has only been probably the last two years or so, something that I've gotten to know and gotten to become interested in. And something that I've gone, oh, I've, I've been doing yes. this all my life. And then you suddenly find a label for it. Not that labels are necessarily a good thing, but you suddenly go, oh, but this is, this is, and then there's a thread more than a label, isn't there? There's a thread that you can pull and start reading. I've done lots and lots of reading and, and, and research on particularly pain management and in body-mind connection when it comes to pain. I'm, mm, right. I'm a big John Sarno fan. Um, and that's been very, very helpful. So I think it, it, my embodiment experience then over the years has been um, in my early life, one of denial that this was going on. Um, high levels of anxiety of... Like, I'm not looking at it, on. but I'm looking at it subconsciously because how could I not look at it? Also coming mm. up against the medical system of, no, you're fine. We're doing this test and it's clear and this test and it's clear. You're fine. It's growing pains. I'm just knowing really instinctively in my bones mm. that something wasn't right, that something wasn't feeling right. Um, and looking back... I'm really proud of myself for sticking to that, you know, through my teens of not backing off from it. Of, you know, I kept going to the doctor when there was something wrong. I wanted it all logged. Um, I kept going for blood tests and demanded to have tests for rheumatoid arthritis. And it was only when I was 25, this has been going on for some time now, and I, I was just about to start my teacher training 25 down in Brighton because um I'm I used to be a secondary school teacher I'm an English teacher and um just before I started I think it was the June or the July this amazing she was a GP in Brighton and she was a locum so she was just subbing for my usual GP and she said I think I'm going to test you for this thing called lupus we're going to test your antibodies just to see what's going on with your your autoimmune um she said, I think there could be something in this for what you're describing, because at this point, the joint pain had become um, so 
Raynaud's, I get really bad. There's no circulation in my fingers when it gets cold. They go completely white. My toes go gray and they they get really painful. And I was getting um, chill blains all across the little joints of my hands, like big, almost like, um, uh, what do you call it? In the snow, you know, when you touch the the ice. Yeah, frostbite. Yeah, exactly like that. And I'd get them, uh, you know, the sort of the top of your toes almost like the corner of your toes they come there like big frostbites and they're so painful um it hurts to walk it hurts to go into the supermarket into the refrigerator section like to get milk in the winter I have to wear gloves and I went to her and I said like this is this is a new thing so this was just sort of developing this next phase of of what was lupus but I didn't know it at the time and she did these tests. She was the first person who ever said, let's give this a go and let's see what comes back. Um, and yeah, my antibodies came back positive. Mm. Um, and a story, finally, they were looking. So it'd been there all along, but they just weren't looking at it. They weren't looking for that thing. Goodness knows what they were looking for. And, you know, maybe questions should have been asked earlier of what they were looking for. But I was a kid at that point, you know. So Yeah, and that's 16 years of, like, uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and feeling like you're not believed. I was made oh, to God, feel yeah. quite a lot like it was in my head. Um, people would get really impatient with me. Particularly um, in university, that was tough as well. Mm. I remember... I had a really bad flare up once and my lovely, um, my, my flatmate Joe, she used to just come and look after me. And I remember once my hands were so bad, my wrists and my fingers, I couldn't cut my food. And she had to like, cut my food up for me. And we used to wrap my wrists in um, like tuber grips. Oh, I would wow. just be full of tuber grips, my knees and my wrists, um, you know, but apparently nothing was wrong. <laughs> so. So yeah, pain is pain is pain is a companion of mine. Yeah, yeah, and how that must shape your um, not only your experience of your body, of course, but uh, the way that you move into the work that you do now. Like you know, as an embodiment teacher, as a as uh, someone who supports like people who are pregnant, like you know, there's so much overlap between the the medical. Uh, world of pregnancy health and the medical world of um, invisible illnesses um, in terms of, I suppose, just the the uh, immovable, like, if it can't be proved, then it doesn't exist. Yeah, or you have to hit criteria. Mm. You have to hit certain criteria to... To, to be diagnosed or to to, to be given a thread. Mm. That's what it is, isn't it? It's about being given threads and given, when you're given a thread, then you can get knowledge and you can empower yourself and find out what it is that is going on with your body. And, you know, not to, to sort of come at you with a cheesy quote, but knowledge is power. It really, really is. And for me, the scariest thing was not knowing and the frustration that came with that and the anxiety that came with that and that feeling of just not being heard um was was really significant for me growing up yeah, yeah. um how does that kind of play out in 
the way that you work in the wellness industry now? I think it's a gift, this pain and what my body's been through, because I, I think that it it really anchors me in the real world and what, when people are sat in front of me, it really keeps me from going off and, you know, giving them sequences that, that are not mindful of how real bodies work. Mm. So the way that I, the way that I teach, you know, I've never been a teacher that's boshing out handstands or, you know, doing crazy arm balances because I can't do that in my own body. So it comes from a place of, I guess, real groundedness and realism. Like it, it's movement that is good for your body and safe for your body. And that's really, really important to me, working with pregnant people, um, working with new parents. Mm. I teach elderly people. So I work quite a lot with, um, you know, arthritic symptoms. So it's given me a good basis to know what's enough really and to be guided by what I see in a really realistic way. I imagine to um, to hand the autonomy to other people like to the people who are in their bodies rather than being like you know I am the person who knows yes. which can often be something that comes up in wellness for, for you know even with all the best intentions it's like well I have the knowledge and I'm the expert and this is what you need to do with your body because that's what my teacher taught me to do with my body. And they, you know, it's been handed down very like imperatively instead of invitational kind of like, what do you need? There, there is, there is such a patriarchal way of teaching, isn't there? Mm. And I think by the time, so I, I became a teacher long after I became a school teacher, it was after I had Bonnie and I just was like, I, I cannot do this anymore. Um, and trained to be a pregnancy yoga teacher. And one of the things, I don't think I was even aware of it at the time until I started teaching myself, was how in, in, in previous classes for me, I that feeling of not being seen or heard in a yoga class, would, would it would come up from, mm. from previous experiences because I would be shown a sequence or shown a pose and I'd be like, my knees can't do that. You know, I can't, or they, they would give you, um, you know, like a bit of a modification, but you're still going, no, no, mm. I, I can't do that. I need you. Can you just come and sit with me for a minute and just listen mm. to me and show, and I know that's not always feasible in a class, you know, especially when you've got a busy 20 people in and they're, everyone's busting out vinyasa. Um, but that is not what I can do. I cannot go into a room with 20 other students and bust out vinyasa. It's not my style. It never has been. Um, I think because of my relationship with my body and, and, and the health of my body and pain and just needing to keep things a little more contained, I think. How have you found working as a yoga teacher with an invisible illness? You know, because from... For, for all intents and purposes, people look at you and go, ah, oh, she's able-bodied. Yeah. How does it, like, how does that land as a teacher? Um, because there is such a, you know, trope of the teacher who is arrived and perfect and super flexible and capable of everything and quote-unquote healthy. Yeah. Um, how's that been? Oh, you just saying that, I'm just feeling it come all the way down my throat and into my chest and this knot come in. Mm. Um, 
I was like, I can't breathe when I think of that because I put that on my back for so long as a teacher that I should be these things mm. and that I that I should be able to 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 do the handstand. And even though I wasn't teaching in that way and I wanted to make classes more acceptable, that voice in my head was always there going, ah, but you should. You should, Sarah. You should be just busting out crows and um, and all this stuff. And uh, very relate. I very very relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I know that you want to be accessible, but also maybe you should just be doing a handstand on the beach in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's that voice, isn't it? And mm. it's still there now. But it's something that I'm much more aware of that I. I don't buy into it like I used to, you know, I don't let it control how I feel about myself as a teacher because that world out there, that's going to exist, isn't it? In the wellness world, this idea of, of, you know, white, able women, able-bodied women, isn't it? Basically. Yes. That's the dominant image in, in the yoga world. And it's, I think it's having an invisible illness is difficult because people don't see what's going on for you you know it's but I'm quite open about it in my classes now I do talk about it and I and I feel I feel in a much not in a better position I feel I feel more empowered I guess to to talk about my own health issues and that's been a bit of a shift because I kind of come from a you know a place I'm from the valleys you know, grew up in the 80s in Merthyr, you know, you kind of just get on. It's quite, it's quite, it's a beautiful place, but it's also quite a tough place, you know, um, with a lot of hardship on its back in Merthyr, you know, God, God bless it. Um, but there's a toughness there. Mm-hmm. And I think I grew up in that culture where you just kind of get on and you don't talk about stuff that's going on for you. You don't moan about it. You just get on and you do your best with what you've been given. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, that's given me a lot of steel in life, but I think it, it also created a sense within myself that I shouldn't talk about these things. You know, I still even now, you know, these are things I'm still working with. I'm talking to you going, she don't really want to know this, you know, or, or, who, or who, who does she think she is, you know, talking about herself like 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 this you know it's um it's something that I'm still stepping into but I feel more comfortable talking about it now because I really see that there there is a space for teachers like me Mm. and we need to see more teachers like me speaking up and saying you know I have this body I have these abilities and non-abilities but I can still do this work. Yeah, and I think, you know, the it's so, for me personally, it's been so uh, transformational to see teachers who don't live up to the perfect ideal, like to, to break, you know, that's the whole thing's called, like the whole podcast's called Wayward Bodies because like, None of us have a body that fits perfectly into these really, really tight strictures that we're given of like what we're meant to be to be well or healthy or anything. And the more of us that can 
stand up and be like, actually, this is what my body does. Yeah. It might not be what your body does. Your body might do something different and that's fine. But like the more space we can give for each of us to just exist, yeah. the better in my, in my mind. Yeah. And, and this may be what my body does and I'm still healthy. I'm mm. still well, you know, just because that I have this diagnosis and I, you know, I have these symptoms in my body doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not well, or I'm not worthy of a place within the wellness industry, mm. you know? And I think it's really important now, now I feel like it's really important because I've come through, you know, that journey of, of beating myself up for it. But I think that it's a really important role now that teachers are, I guess it's, it's, it's the glorification of the teacher, isn't it? And the teacher on the pedestal and, you know, trying to fit that perfect image that, that normal people are speaking up and going, I'm a normal person. Yeah. And I'm a teacher. Yeah. I'm a teacher, but I'm also, you know, a normal person who has these things going on. And I think it's really important that we start taking up the space or we take the space back a little bit, you know? Yeah, totally. Normal people start speaking up, you know, normal, normal. When I, when I say normal, what do I mean by normal? That's the question, because I feel like everyone's normal. It's just whether you're... um whether you're open about it or not like everybody everybody shits yeah everybody like has different energy levels at different points in their life there is no uh you know this idea of like the body as a machine yeah. there's nobody who's working at this like i am a machine and i am at full capacity at all times da, 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 da. like everybody is a human exactly and i guess not the word normal but this idealized image mm. you know stepping away from that and re-embracing the, the humanity of, of, of us all, of our mm. students, of the teachers who hold that space, um, and bringing it back to that. And away from, you know, you, you talk about that idea of the body, you know, it's been sort of moulded into this machine, isn't it, that has to work in a certain way, you know, the way that certain um, yoga styles are taught, you know, it's very almost mechanical. Mm. And it's, again, that's, that's patriarchal tentacles coming through and, you know, taking us away from what's really important. And that's the heart, isn't it? The heart and the body. Mm. You know, can we, can we bring the love back there rather than running this whole system? As yeah. that, you know, that you can switch on and off and, oh, it's well or it's not well. <laughs> oh, it's good yeah, the sort bad. of like the binaries of like, yes or no, yeah. well, not well, you know. Yeah. Oh, if, and if they're not well, then they're broken. And like, you know, it's just like, yeah. wow, there's there's so little space in that for anybody to actually exist. What, there's no space at all, is it? Unless you fit that mould of being skinny. And even if you do, you're still going to get old. You're still yes. gonna you're still gonna get injured at some point. You know, something's gonna happen. And then then who are you if yeah. you're not fitting in that mold? Yeah. And you know, we could have a whole other conversation on how many yoga teachers are hurting themselves to fit into that mold, you know. And when you come to that, you know, that's so heartbreaking to see people in our industry hurting themselves and you know physically and emotionally to try and fit into that tiny little space mm. um, that is 
that is what we call the, you know, the perfect image of the yoga teacher. And it's bullshit, isn't it? Yeah, it's just so destructive. <laughs> it's so destructive. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely something that I am very glad to have stepped away from and continue to like stride in grand steps away from. Um, and I think like, you know, uh, so much of what I see in your work currently and like, you know, the way that you speak out on your social media uh, really revolves around truth. And that kind of, that sits at the heart of this for me as well as like, um, you know, like, can you be honest with yourself about what's happening in your body, in your experience right now, and can you honour that? And that's so easy to say and not easy to do at all. It's not, it's not. And I was just thinking about this the other day, actually, you know, and the things that I I post, um, you know, and they come from a place of truth and where I'm at with my my practice with myself and you know and I'm not talking about physical on my practice this is you know my practice with my heart mm. call it my heart work you know which is it's a daily thing for me and how and how that shows up for me that you know staying true to that when things get tough or if I have a lupus flare you know mm. for example how do I stay with my truth and not start buying into, you know, these prefrontal thoughts running away and the anxieties that come. How do I stay and embody what's true for me when the shit hits the fan, really? Mm. You know, and that's that's where you really get to test your practice, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. walking the walk. You know, you're not just talking the talk. You've got to, you've got to walk the walk as well. Um, and I do feel that lupus um and my thyroid that's a whole different story that is really giving me something to work with in terms of my heart work and come into these places of stress and trying to stay true to what I know in my body mm. yeah and like meeting yourself yeah where you are on that day yeah with like wide open arms yeah um, it's, it's an opportunity to practice that you know mm. and I think as I'm getting older I'm much more aware of that as something I can do rather than run from it and panic about it and go into crisis mode about it if I can meet myself there and hold it with love mm. you know it's it, it, that is embodiment isn't it that is that, that is me embodying my illness Mm. and saying yeah I love that part of myself too which is huge because I spent so long not loving that part of myself fighting to get it to be seen you know it does feel like um my heart work my embodiment allows me to to embrace it and show it to people now mm. and it's so countercultural, like to you know that sounds really 60s but like I like um, that <laughs> so, but like so so against the the cultural story of like yeah. if you have an illness then it is something to be fixed and you mustn't rest until it is fixed um and instead to kind of go to turn towards it instead of like that constant pushing that part of yourself away to turn towards it with with uh, care 
and yeah. generosity and and compassion compassion yeah allowing is... yourself to be human mm. you know that that realization within yourself that you you are human and being human means you're vulnerable you know and to allow yourself to be vulnerable and when you say that that culture of looking at illness as something to be fixed I think my story with my autoimmune conditions has really I see I see illness now as almost little stories of ourselves that are unfolding Mm. and they're not there to be fixed straight away I mean some illnesses of course you, you know, we can't... We you have a broken wrist, then yeah, great, like, you know, put in a cast. <laughs> but we're talking about, like, long-term things that you live with. Yeah, yeah. And, the you know, the invisible illnesses, autoimmune, I mean, it's an umbrella that, you know, it covers so many mm. things that can go wrong with the body and the immune system. Uh, you know, they are, they're little stories that are unfolding slowly. And, you know, sometimes you've just got to step back and let them unfold and let them to be felt in the body um, to allow them to be seen. Yeah, I think like uh, I work with a couple of clients who have autoimmune illnesses in various forms. And um, one of the things that has come up for them quite re- like regularly, and I think this ties to the the kind of cultural desire to fix things, is like, you know, to, to have... Um, a flare or like you know to, to have some response in your body and then to to try and just like stay with it rather than that immediate like to stay with it in your body rather than the immediate like sort of move into the cognitive like prefrontal cortex like what's caused this how like you know what have I done how can I change things like in stages stop like, it? make yeah. it stop yeah 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 just like no 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 resist 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 but like instead to like okay cool there it is yeah that's exactly what happens. You, it, it becomes a cycle when a flare starts and you get into that nervous system response. Everything goes on red alert. Mm. And, you know, that tension in the body, it, it just exacerbates anything that you're already feeling through your flare. Mm. And it's a really hard place to step down from. Yeah. Because flare ups are scary. And I think that, I mean, I can't speak for other people, but speaking for myself, when I get them, in my head, the place that is my is my go-to arrival thought is, well, this is it now. This is the one. Like, this is the one where it never goes away. Mm. And this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Like, that is my, that's my Barbara Streisand coming out, you know, she, <laughs> the drama queen. <laughs> Lying on a fainting couch, just like, oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also as well, I think it's, <laughs> it's good to... I think it's good to feel extremes within the body because Mm. then you know, like I know that is my absolute sort of surge capacity. Barbara Streisand is there. That that's, that's me against the wall. Yeah. Like this is never going to go away. This flare is in my body has finally broken. Yeah. Mm. And from that extreme. So the way that, I've become very interested in, in, in using in bodies to, to use that extreme to then sort of find the opposite of that. So I do it quite a lot with my, my elderly clients and we'll go to places that feel difficult or tight or in pain in the body mm. and, and really expand on that, really amplify what doesn't feel good 
and then to turn the volume down on that and then go somewhere that does feel good you know somewhere that feels free so you're working with the the polar opposites and I think that's a really really it's a nifty tool to, to be able to zone in on what your maximum is what is your capacity here of completely losing it and you know your nervous system just completely being on fire to then find the opposite of that feeling in your body and to be able to play between the two you know to go right so you can zone in and zone out and zone in and zone out on on one or the other um and hold them both you know you're not then pushing one away you're going right I know you're there I know you're there but also I can feel good in this place and I'm going to just stay here with that for a little bit. And I'm going to, I'm going to breathe into that and I'm going to expand on that. But I know you're there and you can both be there together. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, yeah. rather than running away from it. Yeah, like just um, opening to the multitudes that all of us carry within us. Like, you know, whether you're working with chronic pain or like, you know, like ongoing illnesses or even if you just have a body and you're getting older and you've been sat inside your house for like 18 months because it's been a global pandemic, like yeah. even that, you know, there, there are places in all of us that are uncomfortable and there are places in all of us that are comfortable and we can hold all of it. You can hold all of it and it's becoming aware of what you feel and where you feel. So, um, for example, I've just come back from um, teaching uh, a parent and baby class mm. in in town and um people were very tired there this morning there's been a lot of babies that are not sleeping there's a lot you know the bugs are flying around now um it's it's bug season isn't it officially started official bug season <laughs> official bug season and uh so we had a play with this this morning I set up the bolsters into a bit of queen's throne you know come down to my little um yoga nidra to start and we played with that um like where do you feel that exhaustion in your body and let's really turn the volume up on that mm. and you could see them almost kind of sinking in to the bolsters and then um we switched it and went to somewhere that felt energized in the body somewhere that felt really open um and, and then grew that and stayed with that and then just toggle in between the two mm. you know in and out so that it gives them a tool to be able to play with that off the map then. Yeah. So, you know, okay. when they're having these days where, you know, as a parent of two, oh my goodness, you just scrape the well of exhaustion and then you go down some more, you know, when you've got babies. Like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Minus six and nine and I can still pull up. I can call it up right now, that exhaustion that you feel when, when your baby hasn't slept at night. So just be able to give them a tool that they don't have to necessarily have had a full night's sleep to feel energized. Mm. They can just take five and call that feeling up within themselves. That's the power of embodiment, isn't it? Mm. That, that, that's, that's the true power of it, is that you can access what you need when you need it. Because it's a feeling, it's a, it's a tone of emotion, isn't it? And, mm. and it's, it's a landscape and we have it's it, people don't realize that they have the choice and the power to to go to the places that they need when they need we get drawn into the places that don't feel good and we feel stuck or we get stuck on those places mm, yeah. stuck on the pain what is this make it stop um 
so I'm really interested in finding when I have a flare or I'm feeling like I'm, you know, one of the first signs for me is, is it's like someone's pulled a plug, like so exhausted. Mm. So I try and tune into that feeling of being energized, you know, and even if it's just for a little five minutes, I can, I can get off on that. You know, I can get off yeah. a little bit on that. It is, it's yeah. getting high off your own supply, isn't it? But, <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> you know, but it's your own supply of emotions. Mm. It's, it's, it's your own emotional landscape, isn't it? That inner world that we're just so cut off from because we're so... Yeah, just like floating heads. We need to analyse it all. We need to have the answers. We need to fix it, like you've said. Um, but a lot of the time, that that sense of um, peacefulness, I think, and, and acceptance, it lies within your own your own flesh and bones you know it's there you don't have to go and see a specialist for that it's already there but it's um it's a journey back to yourself isn't it it's Mm. it's a journey back to your to your truth and being able to trust that yes trust is um trust is a fun one for that like especially because we all grew up in a world that pretty much nobody i know learned to trust their body um you know, it's the whether you blame it on patriarchy or like white supremacy or capitalism or any of it, like the world we have created to live in really uh, deifies logic and an authority. And yeah, and you know, sort of the somebody else always knowing better than you. Yes. That's um, the thing, isn't it? We've lost that sense of trust in ourselves because we've bought into the idea that somebody always knows better than us mm. about ourselves and about our hearts. Yeah, and it's a very, um, certainly in my experience, it's a long and winding journey back into finding that trust in yourself, mm. in your own experience. Um, and sort of softening it's not it's not um a forceful action to become embodied it is a softening a slow kind of like wearing down of like water on rock to return back into yourself yeah yeah like a slow opening up of like a cave over over time yes and and in my experience i think you've got to know the rock first as well like you've Mm. got to know the hard places to know, to feel that softening, I think, that, that softening back into yourself. Oh, there's so much in We there. need to take this to the NHS. I know, right? You know, you just, I just, oh, I think they miss out on so much. You know, the way that they, I say they, but sort of the medical, The medical industry. Yeah, the body was segmented. The 17th century, I think it was, mm. or 16th, either 16th or 17th century, it was segmented um, so we could study different parts of the body. And, you know, the, the way the NHS is set up with their different departments mm. to look at certain parts of the body is a reflection of that. You know, there's nothing holistic about it. Mm. So if I, you know, I've got a rheumatoid or a rheumatologist for my lupus Mm -hmm. and I've got an endocrinologist for my thyroid Mm. my Hashimoto but they're they're part of the same thing (laughs) yeah like 
it's it's all in there. It's all in it's here. All in there, you know. <laughs> it's not like it's your lupus doesn't affect your Hashimoto's, doesn't affect exactly. your, you know, does, they don't go back and forth. Exactly. In Merthyr, we'd say same shit, different shovel, you know, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's been broken up into departments, mm. and you know that creates havoc for us because then we don't get that that holistic approach that oh well yeah it's all connected and it's you know we treat one we treat the other I'm still waiting I've been waiting seven months to see my rheumatologist and I've seen my endocrinologist twice in that time so it doesn't quite match up to Mm. to what we need really what the body needs yeah and again it's a way of exerting control as over our bodies isn't it and you know always come back to that idea again of somebody always knows better than you somebody knows better about you on that system and then somebody else knows better than you on that system they might not necessarily agree what's better for you exactly (laughs) exactly and it's like well but what about me and what I feel Mm. you know I can I can tell you how I'm feeling and you can see sometimes it just goes over their heads you know I suggested to one of my uh, various specialists the other day because I get palpitations quite a lot and they put that down to thyroid mm-hmm. but that's been nicely balanced now for the last couple of months so I said to my my endocrinologist um do you think uh you might want to check my estrogen levels you know just because I'm 39 just to you know just to see if anything's dipping and he was like well why would I want to do that and I was like well because I'm feeling a little bit off center I'm having palpitations I feel like maybe you might want to look and see if there's an early perimenopause starting and he just looked at me and went oh yeah that might be a good idea (laughs) it's that's like the importance of that's actually a really there's a really interesting piece in there about like uh the frustration of the medical industry not being able to understand holistic like holisticism yeah. But also the importance of being able to advocate for yourself, yeah, yeah. and um, and how how challenging I think that can be for, especially people who have been like raised as female, or who you know who have very good reason to not trust the medical industry. Yeah. Perhaps you're trans. Perhaps you're black. Like you know, there's you know yeah, yeah. these huge histories of the medical industry not being a safe place for you it's an institution isn't it yeah and it's a patriarchal institution let's not forget that i mean god bless the nhs yeah absolutely i mean it's 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 an incredible thing that we have this access to to healthcare. but i do i feel like it is run based on a completely outdated system and way of viewing the body Mm. I mean, even in birth, one of the the main focuses on my work with with pregnant people is getting them, you know, it's it's all embodiment based, getting them to trust how they feel and trust their body and to be able to advocate for themselves or their birth partner to be able to advocate for them. What is actually going on? Because so typically during a hospital birth, um, it becomes much more medicalized pathologized Um, and when that happens there tends to be a cascade of intervention which it's almost like 
a ladder that we that we that we go up and it usually results in in a, an assisted childbirth you right. know so um, it could be cesarean it could be forcep delivery and we're seeing that this is steadily climbing you know the 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 rates of assisted childbirth there right. um and even things like inductions are going up where you know a, a birthing person is said right is told right we're going to induce you at sort of 37 30 weeks it could be for a multiple of reasons one of um the ones i hear quite commonly in class is uh, oh they're going to induce me because they think i'm carrying a big baby so from a scan they'll give you a, like a guesstimate of how much baby weighs mm. but the only way that you can weigh a baby is to put it on a scale and weigh the baby yeah there's a huge discrepancy they might say oh based on the measurements here you know we think you could be carrying a nine pound baby that's quite big we might look at inducing you but there's so much leeway either side of that nine pound mm. you know that baby could be born up to 10 pound plus or or down to sort of eight you know mm. there's there's a lot that you, you cannot pinpoint and so many birthing people say oh yeah okay we'll do induction because they have that fear of birthing a big baby mm. um and then they give birth to normal sized babies you yeah. know and when you induce a, a birthing person you are instantly increasing their um chances of having an assisted delivery um, because the body is put into labor in a in a pathological way you don't have a physiological response mm, so sure. the body doesn't build up gradually like it would if you had a spontaneous labor um, particularly if you have the drip um, mm. um you, you kind of go from naught to 70 very very quickly and that's a really difficult place for a birthing person to yeah you know that must be, I mean, physically quite uh, frightening, yeah. I would imagine. Um, you know, just thinking about being like, cool, here I am having my normal physical experience and then suddenly, you know, you're in labour. It, it completely shifts the goalposts for people. Mm. And um, from a nervous system point of view as well, uh, just like, yeah. all right, there we go. There you go, you're in. You know, you you literally go straight into it to a full-blown labour experience. Um and again, you know, it's it's a lot of it's the medical institution saying that they know best for the birth in person, rather than the person saying, no, I want to wait, or no, this is fine, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, again, it's 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 taking people's voices and it's that notion of authority and we know better that makes it difficult for people to speak up for themselves. Mm. And the inherent distrust of a body. Yeah. Especially a body that has, you know, the, the capacity to birth. Like, I think, I think maybe it's um, wombs and cycles and, you know, like that can carry, carry life. Uh, uh, There's a fear of it. Yeah. yeah. They're wild. Yeah. They are yes. unpredictable. You cannot tame it. You cannot tame yeah. it. I've just read a beautiful book around this on, on sort of, uh, you know, that that fear of the wildness mm. of a body that is able to birth, you know, of a body that has a womb. and Creation of life. Yes. Like that is yeah. godlike, right? Like not that bleeds, you know, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, what do we do? What do we do with this in a culture where we 
we you know we put on a pedestal control and cleanliness and orderliness precision exactly and you know bodies that birth are the opposite of this yeah so you know you've got the institution then trying to control that and usually what they will offer are things that make that experience easier for them not easier for the birth in person it's another way isn't it it's another way of disempowering people from that connection to their body mm. connection to their voice yeah both connection to their autonomy and the things that they uh inherently know to be true yeah which I mean like which may be so distant because they've never learned to know like le- never learned to pay attention to what is true never learned how to listen to what is true and that's well, certainly been my own experience is like as I've become more embodied I've recognized all of the times that <laughs> there was something that was true that was yelling at me and I just couldn't hear it because I didn't have I didn't have the capacity to or you were told, no, no, it's mm. not like that. Mm. No, no, well, you didn't see that right or you heard that wrong, you know. Mm. Do you know, I, I'm so pleased to see my children in school and they're practising mindfulness and yoga now. So, so many primary schools are, are including well-being now. In fact, I think they have to. It's compulsory to have well-being on the curriculum. So it's a very different experience from when we were in school. That You know, they've got teachers who are training to do little bits of yoga with the children. And Bonnie shows me um, the, this beautiful rainbow breath that they do. So when they're feeling stressed out or, it, you know, they, they just all practice it together. Oh, or they so hopeful. Melting breath down onto the floor. She said we melt like ice cubes, you know. And they talk about feelings. They talk about how they feel. Delilah did a whole piece after first lockdown, so when she went back in September, naming feelings of how she felt through different points of lockdown and where did you feel it? And I was like, shit, this is embodiment work they're doing with the kids. I don't think the teachers are aware that they're doing embodiment work, but who cares? It's a whole new world. That is truly amazing and gives me so much hope for the future. It does, because it's allowing or... Yeah, it's, it's allowing children to develop their emotional literacy skills. Mm. And that, L, that is going to change the world. I think on that beautiful optimistic note, maybe a good place to start to wrap our conversation up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for hanging out and talking about, God, all sorts of amazing stuff. Um, Lush. It's been such a joy. It's been so lush. Thank you for asking me. I'm glad that I like that I managed to get a Welsh lush as well. It always Yay! makes me happy. <laughs> um, do you want to let folks know where they can find you if they want to come do amazing birthing work with you or practice practice embodiment practices with you in Wales? So, um, my, shall I say my stage name is not Barbara Streisand. I wish Alas. <laughs> it's Exhale with Sarah. And you can find me at exhalewithsarah.com. And my handles on all social media is at exhalewithsarah. So if you're in Wales and you want to come and check me out or you want to drop me a line or ask any questions, um, then I'm here. And yeah, it'd be lovely to hear from you. Yes. Amazing. You should you should really check her out. Her, her work is just the best. Ah, what a delight. 
Thanks again to Sarah for joining me for this conversation. I feel like I could listen to her glorious accent all day, so I hope you enjoyed it. All of the details of where to find her work and more of her glorious accent are in the show notes. If you want to get in touch about anything that came up in today's episode, then drop me an email at waywardbodies at protonmail.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, then please do. I would be hugely grateful. You can subscribe, rate and review, all of which is super helpful for getting Wayward Bodies into more people's ears. Or if you prefer a more real world kind of solution, then you can tell somebody. Put it on your social media or tell a friend about an episode that you really liked that you think might help them. Recommendations and word of mouth really are pure gold. To find more about my work, head to my website, which is anotherpractice.com. There you'll find details of my longer one-to-one program, which is a six-month deep dive. And you can also sign up for my fortnightly love letters and find details about upcoming workshops and courses. If you're curious about the beta test for the integration sessions or about our thoroughly mysterious unnamed course coming in November, then get in touch directly. Drop me an email at ellie at anotherpractice.com. That's Ellie spelt E-L-L-E. And we can talk about it. And finally, you can find me somewhat sporadically on Instagram at another practice, which is A-N underscore O-T-H-E-R practice, spelt with a C at the end. All right, that's it. Until next time, big love.